0: Welcome to the How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of the How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Pia Silva. Pia, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Henry. Great to be here.
0: I'm excited to have Pia with us. Uh, Pia is an entrepreneur. A speaker, an author, and a badass, as she refers to herself, and you'll understand <laughs> why. Uh, she's a partner and brand strategist at Worst of All Design, where they build badass brands without the BS. And you know, we love that here on the How of Business. Uh, and they do this, they offer these services for typically one to three person services businesses. And they, amongst other ways they do this, they deliver it through one to three day intensives, intensive workshops. But we'll get into that and the different services that they offer. Uh, Pia is a Forbes contributor and the author of a recent book, which I've had the pleasure of reading, entitled Badass Your Brand, The Impatient Entrepreneur's Guide to Turning Expertise into Profit. And so because of her work and doing the research and the book, I felt she would be a perfect guest for us. Uh, She has blown the minds at spots, uh, the minds of of the audience anyway, at at spots (laughs) like the Million Dollar Women's Summit, and Goldman Sachs, ten thousand small businesses, and has been featured on MSNBC's Your Business. Uh, Pia lives in Brooklyn, New York, with her husband. And so, in today's episode, Pia is going to share with her with us rather her journey, how she got to where she is today, an interesting background that she has, and then we'll dive into as we talk about it. This whole concept of branding for a small business It's such a such a paralyzing topic sometimes for us as small business owners. So she's going to share her valuable insights the book is a it's a great book because it gives so much actionable stuff it's not just a fluffy book. I downloaded the companion workbook and put it to use for my own coaching business so we'll chat about that in this conversation. So with all that said Pia Silva once again welcome to the show
1: thank you great introduction Henry <laughs> appreciate it.
0: I'm excited to have you so you're you're in Brooklyn as we chat
1: I am I am Williamsburg Brooklyn.
0: Um, now, you didn't grow up there, did you?
1: I grew up in Manhattan, one subway stop away from where I live now. So <laughs> I'm I'm a townie. I'm a New York City townie.
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> what, what was that like growing up in New York? The reason I ask is I'm, you know, I travel to New York often. I live in Dallas. My daughter, who's off to university, has this dream of living in the city, right? It's somewhat romanticized. But what was it like <laughs> growing up? I'm just curious. In the city.
1: Um, well, obviously I have nothing to compare it to, but I would say, <laughs> um, uh, you have a lot of freedom, you know, you have a lot of freedom. I think people think might, maybe it's dangerous. There's, I guess there's some dangers, but they're also, um, outweighed by the lack of danger in the fact that we don't drive here. So, you, mm, that's a good you know, point. I was taking the subway by myself at 12 years old to go to school and so basically it was like getting the keys to the car at 12, <laughs> which is crazy when I have my- you know, own But,
0: but that's, that's such a great point because most teenage, I suspect, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I suspect that, you know, driving related deaths are probably up there as the number one killer of teenagers besides, you know, drug overdose. But I suspect auto related deaths are probably up there, aren't they?
1: Yeah. And drinking and driving issues and also just waiting. I mean, I hear these stories. I don't really know what this is like, but I remember friends in the suburbs can't wait to get their car, their license, all that. And we didn't have any of that. So I do think, you know, they say you have to grow up early. I think it's more just you really get an opportunity to experience independence um, at a very early age. And I definitely had a lot of agency and my parents also let me have that independence. So I'm an entrepreneur now. I think it has something to do with it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I I think it does. I'm always looking for those connections. I think also when you grow up in that environment, you must in part learn to be aware of your surroundings. But I have to think that that in turn got you very in tune to things, other creative things, other influences. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. And I I also think, um, you know, being able to interact with so many different kinds of people all the time, um, I've just, I mean, not everybody who grows up in the city is like this, but <clears throat> it's summer after high you know, uh, senior year, I went out and I got myself my first a hostessing job, you know, and I walked into bars and I was like, Hey, I've never done anything before, (laughs) but I'm friendly. Will you pay me? And, you know, I got a job and I, I mean, I had a lot of freelance type jobs after that um, all just by the, you know, grit of my teeth saying, Hey, I'd be good at this. You should hire me. Um, And people usually gave me a chance. So.
0: Yeah. I love that. All right. So you studied economics in college, correct? I did. What was the thinking? What were you going to do with that degree?
1: I <laughs> I wasn't gonna do anything with that degree. I just <laughs> you, you don't do much with an economics degree. I just uh, was very interested in economics. Um, <clears throat> I was a big fan of uh, Stephen Levitt Freakonomics that came out like a little before I went to college. I used to love reading him in the New York Times Magazine um, Armchair Economics. So I was just really interested in the social side of it. Plus, I uh, was a pretty big math person. And I like I love a good Excel sheet. So I don't know Mm -hmm. economics just seem to like right. Um, Do I use it? I I use a a couple of the I use a couple of the main ideas from economics that I learned every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I probably say on a daily basis is opportunity cost, Um, and I'm always looking for the opportunity cost. Love the idea of incentives. It's a core piece of economics, and I mean these are very simplistic ideas, but. I think that's what attracted me to the major and it's also stuff that I use in my business and in my, how I help people every day.
0: The whole opportunity cost thing, is that part of what goes into you being effective at saying no to certain things?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) I'm always weighing the opportunity cost of doing one thing over another, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, et cetera. And I try to uh, help people see that. And I don't, I don't think that's a natural way to think um, so I don't know if I I mean,
0: most of us, most of us have to learn to get there and we struggle with that. It seems like that's a lesson you learned early on.
1: Yeah. I mean, if my quarter of a million dollar education <laughs> gave me that one piece of advice, I think it's still worth it.
0: For, for small business owners or other entrepreneurs who that's a loft and often a big challenge. I'm sure you help people with it. How, how do you advise people who don't have that from early on? to start to learn how to say no or what to say no to. What's your what's your filter besides, you know, judging immediately the opportunity cost, but how do you help people get through that process of learning to say no more?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. So, one of the things that I am a big proponent of is finding your specialty, your niche, who you serve best where you provide the most value, where you enjoy what you do the most. I mean, where these things intersect, that's usually where you want to play because that will give you the most fulfilling business and also give you the most profitable business. So – if you find that space, you know, a easy rule of thumb is say no to everyone that's not in that mm-hmm. space. Now I know that can be hard to do in the beginning, especially if you feel like you don't have enough uh, enough leads coming in, or you know you don't have enough opportunities. But um, so then you play in the space around that until you can hone in, um, and you just get closer and closer. But at least you have your eye on the prize, and you know what you're going towards. And if you have to say yes to things here and there that are not Quite ideal, but you know that they're still pushing you towards your ultimate goal. You know that's okay. Um, But the other way that I talk about saying no and understanding opportunity cost really plays a part in your marketing efforts and how you spend your time. So I might talk. um, I talk a lot about networking because I have both networked my face off (laughs) and also refuse to do anything that says networking in it um and i've really tr- i've really run the gamut i've i've seen the whole spectrum and in my experience the reason you know i did that work for so long but i was actually spinning my wheels 90% of the time so i wasn't using my time valuable um in a valuable way and so the idea of the opportunity cost i would spend you know i would work 12 14 hours a day if you counted the travel and the going to these meetings and these events and coffees and all that and a lot of that time was a complete waste. It was giving me no value, and so in retrospect, there was a huge opportunity cost. If I had spent all of that time doing things that I do now, I would have um, gotten—I would have gotten where I wanted to go much faster. I didn't know that, of course, and you have to learn things for yourself. And so I learned that, but I'm trying to, uh, you know, relay the the message <laughs> to everyone else who is spinning their wheels doing that because I find, for example, if you go to a, ne- a networking event, which I used to do all the time. And you talk to 20 people. And what you're saying is not that memorable. And you get a bunch of cards and you're not really – like no one's really remembering you. You literally could have stayed home that night. And it would have been a better use of your time because at least you'd be well rested the next morning, you know, even if you weren't going to do something for your work. So – that's a good example of opportunity cost.
0: And so you're not, you're not on networking. You're not necessarily saying don't network, but if you're going to make sure it's going to be a productive use of your time. And it's got to include also that if you've done the work on who, who is your ideal client, are those type of people going to be there has got to be part of it. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't see networking as a great long-term strategy. Um I think it's a great way to get clients in the immediate. I think it's a good way to build a network of people that know you. But I think that I I consider that short-term marketing strategy and I think that if you pair that with a long-term marketing strategy that has more legs that that can live on b- beyond you instead of just your time because whenever you're networking, you are there doing the value, you know. So um you want to do both so that eventually you don't have to keep showing your face and people are still thinking of you, sending you referrals, reading your stuff, like thinking of you and as an expert. So.
0: Okay. That makes sense. All right. So after school, you did various things, event planning, sales, uh, rental agent, business consultant. And then in 2008, you start worst of all design if I've got the dates, right? So just tell us what led to starting. That was your first business. Is that correct?
1: Um, yeah, my first official business. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So what led to that? And, and um, did you always aspire to be an entrepreneur and own your own business? So just tell us about a little bit about that journey and getting to that point where you decided to go on your own.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I ever uh, – I don't think I had a plan that, that was that very specific. I always knew I wasn't going to work for anybody um at least not long term. I always said when people asked me when I was a kid, you know, like what do you want to be? I was like in charge. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, I just want to be in charge. So, I pictured myself maybe running a like somebody else's company. I pictured myself just working I don't I don't know what I thought, but I just I was always being attracted to any opportunity where I had agency over how much I made and how I spent my time. So, <clears throat> we didn't even really start this thinking of a business per se. My husband, my fiance at the time, he was a really amazing graphic designer is, and also, um, an artist. And so actually before we started this business, there was another point in time where I said, Ooh, you're very, very talented. I can make a lot of money off of you, honey. I'm going to sell your artwork. So I did that. We did that for a while. Um, that's harder, easier said than done. And we're still, we're still doing that, but, um, we're doing it much more strategically now that we know so much about branding and marketing. Uh, But there came a time where he was freelancing and I was like, gosh, these people are not paying you anything and you don't know how to manage money or... Clients or any of that. You're so creative, though, and what you have is so valuable. Again, I can make a lot of money off of you, honey. So I'm gonna go <laughs> find the clients. I'm gonna manage the clients. I'm gonna get the money and charge them and everything. And you just do what you do best. And that's how we started out of our house. Um, you know, we would be happy to just get enough clients to pay rent and live and not have to work for anybody else. And that's how it all started.
0: So did you do you feel as you were in your career? That you got progressively to the point where you felt more constrained and less in charge. That was there something that happened, or was it just accumulative? And then, of course, this opportunity with your fiance at the time that that just all came together at the right time.
1: Well, uh, I had been a real estate agent previously. Um, worst market ever. <laughs> um, we our, our business. We didn't actually start our business until 2011, but in 2008, okay. I was in. Re- I like started real estate because I knew so little about real estate. I mean, I'm, that's kind of the person I am. I was like, oh, I could do that, and I just mm. like jumped right in, knowing absolutely nothing about it. Um, but I learned a lot, and I, I bring a lot of those skills to the table now. Things that I learned and mistakes that I made. Um, but that that kind of killed my soul a little bit. And when I left, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I was just doing freelance stuff here and there, um, and then. Steve and I, we actually took a hiatus and we went down to the Caribbean and we lived on a farm for four months wow. um, with no money. Like we we had some money in the bank, but we went to live on no money. We wanted to see what it was like to like barter and like live off the land. And we were just being super hippie and <laughs> going to beautiful beaches and reading great books and talking and philosophizing. and um, And that's where we decided, hey, we could work for ourselves. I'm going to manage, that's where we decided. I said, I'm going to manage your graphic design. Let's go back to Brooklyn when we're done with this. And let's just, let's just never look back. Let's just make that work. So interesting.
0: What island, what island, what
1: uh, Island? We were, well, mostly on Tortola in okay. the British Virgin islands. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what would you say has been one of the things that's, has stayed with you the most from that experience?
1: Um, well, it was such an amazing experience because, uh, it was paradise. We really was like, We would be on private islands, private beaches on a daily basis. And that, I'm a big beach person. So to me, that was the ultimate. So I had this experience there where we're on a private beach by ourselves. We're like dirty from our our farm (laughs) clothes, but we got our books and we got our apples and whatever. And um, like our treat was like an apple. Um, And I realized, wow, this is what I think I would have spent my whole life working towards to be Mm. able to do this and be totally unattached um, of, of anything I needed to do and just enjoy myself. And it was kind of a bittersweet moment because it was so freeing and also a little constraining. It kind of felt like, oh my gosh, I was going to work my whole life towards this. Right. I have it now and I don't have any of those things. So all of a sudden I had to, I had the realization that you got to just enjoy what you do every day. Um, Right. Cause you could come back here at any time. So it kind of popped this bubble for me that I think would have been hanging and been like a carrot in front of my head. Like someday you're going to go live on a beach and just have a carefree life. And since I already experienced it, um, it almost freed me from that false idea.
0: Yeah. That's huge Pia, because I, I think what it's done for you is now you can just enjoy the journey and understand that that's what it's about. And, uh, you go down to the beach when you need a fix, but it's not this work, 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 work until I can sometime get there. Instead, right. you enjoy. I think you enjoy more every the everyday things that happen, right?
1: I mean, that's I think I have more perspective on that, that I'm looking to enjoy the everyday. Yeah, Instead of work, working for the weekend, right? That's what he yes, exactly, does. Exactly. I'm definitely not working for the weekend anymore. Nope.
0: And that's that's one of the big reasons we're entrepreneurs, which so is right. I love that. Um, worst of all design, how did you come up with that name? I'm curious.
1: Well, how did we come up with it or why is it? Yeah, well, worst of
0: all. There's got to be a story there as to so why you call yourself worst of all design.
1: So, so when people ask me about the name, obviously people are curious. Um, I tell them, well, we build badass brands and that's the most badass name you could have. <laughs> I just kind of, I just kind of wink, and but laugh. that's not the true story. <laughs> and and that is true because it is a badass name, and it's true, you know true. a lot of the name is about us. Instead of saying you know great designers, we make you look different, mm. we make you stand out, which is like the lamest thing you could say, and also so generic and exactly what everyone else is saying, and therefore complete contradiction and paradox of what you're doing. We're just being different. So n- nobody – and also kind of, you know, badass brands. I know badass. Like people throw that word around now. But I'm like, no, badass. Like you call yourself worst of all design and you have the balls to do that. So, you know, it's all kind of part of this the brand, which is like, you know like it there. or don't like it. We attract the people we want and, and everyone else doesn't make, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but the real story is that worst of all is kind of the nickname of my husband. His last name is Wastervall. Ah, um, so it's a play on his name that he had way before I even met him. And when it was time to you know incorporate, he was like, it's worst of all design. There was really no discussion. That was the name it was going to be. And I had to go into B&I's and sell it It was really uncomfortable, but there was nothing else to be done about it.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. It has got got all those, all that value in it, which is great. Yeah, Um, I'm sure you (laughs) wouldn't, you would not change it now. I
1: wouldn't. So,
0: so define for us briefly as we get into it what badass branding means.
1: Yeah, so I have defined badass branding as having two critical characteristics. One, it has to magnetically attract clients, um, and it's okay with repelling everybody else. So it's okay, I say on my homepage, to be loved by some, you have to be okay being misunderstood or even disliked by others. So magnetically attract clients and be able to charge a premium price. So you can charge more than the competition and still Win the business, and you do this by having a badass brand that is noticeable, memorable, and shareable, which will make it ultimately profitable.
0: Great, I was I was making notes as you shared all of that. And of course, I've read the book, so I, I was had some of the background. Um, so let's dive in a little bit on the whole concept of the the. Um, Magnetically attract clients, yeah. and then the flip side in which with well, the flip side of which I think is the harder part, and it relates to <laughs> you know the saying no and deciding who's your client that's I think what we struggle with the most, because especially when we start out, we're like, "Hey, if you want to give me money, come you know we want to we want to reach everybody and we take a shotgun approach, and therein lies a lot of the issues with not understanding who we really are, and therefore we can't really clearly articulate what it is that we do, right right. Um, so just give me a couple of those tips and how you help people understand that and appreciate that that's what we have to do to be successful.
1: Uh, well, I think it has to do with it. You know, I can only explain it so much until you really experience it. I think people have a hard time with this concept. It, it is a pretty core concept to what I'm teaching and what badassery means. Cause it takes guts to not want everybody and to not. As you say, like p- to spray around and just like hope that some people close. Um, so what I'm really saying is, the tighter and more authentic and extreme your message and your voices, um, and the the it's like you want to be a dog whistle for your clients. You want your clients to, when they see your brand or hear something you've said, you want them to. Have a guttural reaction to it. you want them to go, "Oh my God, you're speaking right to me, you know, so that's what the magnetically attracts if you're if you're trying to uh entice everyone and attract everyone, you have to be generic because you have to say something that lots of different kinds of people in lots of different situations are going to resonate with. um but I find you know it's age old saying like if you're for everyone, you're for no one, and it's so much stronger to really speak exactly to your exact ideal clients. And usually that means that you're going to say stuff that some people are not going to get or or they're just going to say oh that's not me. And the problem that most people have with that is oh, but but I could have I could have gotten money from you and it's like I, I that is both a terrible way to approach it and also like I think kind of lacks integrity. I know it's not on purpose, but it's it's like just cuz you can help somebody doesn't mean that they're the you're the best person to help them.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what then gets us in trouble with not being congruent with our message, with our brand, Mm -hmm. with who we are, with the product we really deliver. All of those things start to happen. You know, in podcasting, we talk about it as niching down, getting as specific as possible and defining a very clear avatar. And I think it's a lot of what you're talking about here too, Absolutely. Is very clearly defining who it is that we are Uh, targeting our service or our product for. And that's what you do with your program. And the book talks a lot about that and helps you get there as well. Um, I think it's also related to something that that I made a note about that I wanted to talk about because I'm doing it today, which is this whole thing of giving away stuff for free. So for like my business coaching, I do the classic free consultation. So tell me why that's the wrong way to go about it.
1: Yeah. So I have this this theory, especially – I mean, you have to remember my target for this is, is service businesses. So I'm helping people mm-hmm. who are offering their services and their expertise, which means – and I'm helping them price themselves premiumly. So I'm trying to leverage their time as much as possible. I'm trying to get them the highest price for the amount of time that they spend. And in that situation, um, I've found that if you can – Charge very upfront because you're an expert. It actually helps position you as an expert. It allows you to demonstrate your expertise and have the ideal client actually experience what it's like to work with you while having paid you so they actually value what you're saying more. Um, And it gives you an opportunity to be in the right positioning with them when you're giving that expertise. So, and it also cuts through the crap. You know, there are some people who are never going to buy. And so, They're not going to buy. So they won't buy your first step and that's okay. Um, You don't have to spend time with them. Everybody who's really serious about working with you, they'll pay up front and it just creates this very harmonious relationship where you are in the driver's seat of your expertise. Um, Of course, all of this is predicated on the fact that you actually are delivering something of value and you're really awesome at what you do, which my clients tend to be because people resonate with my message they're like oh no i'm good you know most of i mean every client i've ever worked with really like i can tell right when i meet them they're like oh no i'm very good at what i do not so good at communicating it or selling it or pricing it so i say well that's perfect then
0: <laughs> yeah that's such a key component you know and i see that in in your work the book and the, all the the related components that was one of the things i got you know this is this is there's content here there's there's a lot of content here in a book right? I read so many books as I prepare for interviews and most of them are good, but a lot of them are fluff, mm-hmm. right? They're really a a lead magnet, if anything else. Um, so I think obviously you believe in that and that's the type of client that you attract. But this is also tied to the opportunity cost, right? Because I could, what your point is in part that instead of me spending an hour in the prep time ahead of time to talk to someone for free that there has a higher probability of not being an ideal client for me anyway I could have been talking to an ideal client right
1: right and and maybe um by having a higher barrier to entry and I have some caveats on that that I describe in the book you know you can't you can't sell uh, a a discovery session where you're going to tell them all their problems you have to sell answers you have to sell value um but if you can somehow package up what you do in that first session into something of value, then it's a it's a wonderful exchange of value. And, um, you know, my – just recently raised my price again of my brand shrink. It's $2,000. Um, so if you want advice from me, it's like, great. The first thing to do is $2,000. So um, only very serious people are – gonna buy that, but that just means that everybody who's coming in the door is like super badass and the kind of person I want to work with and and the kind of person I can help too. I can't help people who have yeah. never had a client before, for example. So those people aren't going to pay me $2,000 anyway. So they are welcome to get my book. Um, and I'm happy to give it all away there. If you want me to help you implement it or show you the way as it pertains to your business, then this is how much it costs.
0: Yeah. I love that. So answers and value that I think that's a huge takeaway. Just this, just in that sentence there. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the Howa Business Podcast, and I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress Towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Okay, so in branding overall, let's just bring it up a level now, just in your experience in general, you work with a lot of small businesses, you see a lot of the things that people are doing, Share with me just at a high level, what are some of those things that you're seeing small businesses make mistakes on when it comes to branding? We've touched on some of it. We've touched on, you know, the disconnect, trying to be everything to everybody. Uh, those are some of the obvious ones. What else stands out to you as uh, some of the mistakes that we make as small business owners?
1: Yes, definitely trying to be everything to everyone. Um, I think the mistake of of letting letting yourself succumb to your own fear about the different things that you need to do, being scared of putting yourself out there. So when I, you know, I work with people where even if it's not their name on their company, they really are the essence of their brand. And the Mm -hmm. value that they bring really comes from within the owner. Um, It's something, you know, unique and specific and authentic to that person. So it can be very vulnerable to own that to put it out there. You're really putting your, you're putting your, your guts out there. Um, and some people might not like it. So I think that being too scared to actually show your true colors and own something, um, is a, is a big mistake. Um, obviously saying not saying no to unideal clients, you know, not being very, uh, clear with yourself about what you're looking for is a, is another mistake.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a great point, P, on the putting yourself out there. This is something I've been finding with a lot of my clients who are in the service business. They're starting out, right? So they're, they, they think that building the name of the business and that brand as if people are going to remember that initially anyway, but they hide themselves, right? Like you won't even see a picture of themselves on the website, or they think it's about a Facebook ad or this ad. And those things are part of the mix. But to your point, you, you, in your experience, you think it's because we're afraid of putting ourselves out there because they may not like what I look like, or they may not want me, or they may not like me, but we're missing the point, aren't we?
1: Yeah. And, and fear of criticism. And believe me, when I took my personal brand to another level, it was a clear decision and it was not one that I ever had wanted to do. I mean, my face is everywhere, Henry, (laughs) Like my face is on right. my book. My face is in Facebook ads. Like that is – I am a camera shy. I do not like photos of myself. And I had to kind of bite the bullet and say, wait a second, but I have a bigger mission here. Like I have a, I have big ideas and I want to get them out there and I want to reach people. And you know what? It's going to be a hell of a lot easier for me to do that if people can see who I am and trust who I am and I can – and be vulnerable. And don't get me wrong. I get criticism Like people spew their – own stuff on you, you know, especially when you're doing like ads, um, people project their own stuff on you and, and you kind of learn to realize that it's, it's them, not you, you know, cause all these other people are like loving it. And they're like, thank you so much for this information. So it's just kind of par yeah. for the course. But I, I find that kind of, um, like accepting that and also just seeing it as part of a bigger mission to, you know, get your ideas out there and to help people in the way that you think is helpful and to share lessons that you've learned um it's worth it and if you can just stay connected to that then you can get through most of the scary parts that vulnerability brings
0: yeah that's it's a big point and and again it ties to however much we might tell ourselves or we're told to listen you're trying to find your audience your your tribe we still want when we put a picture out there or something as simple as that we want everybody to like us right, and right. This, <laughs> not The reality, and of course online you know all the uh the hate and the ugly people come out. But but so we're we gotta check ourselves and say, okay, that that's I can ignore that. I'm looking for the person that does connect with me and does like what I have to say. This is part of what I was going to dive into related to how does a small business service business is just starting, how do they build that brand? And as we talked about, part of it is you have to be part of that brand and you have to put yourself out there. And that's how you're going to differentiate, right? That's a big part of how I'm going to differentiate. Everybody going to say I'm going to deliver better customer service, or I've got a better, you know, approach. And those things are important, like you said. I got to actually deliver some answers, but it's me they're going to connect with, especially when I'm starting out. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, <clears throat> someone who's just starting out, you know, you have to do some of that upfront work where you're you're just finding people to work with, partially because. No, but you don't have a reputation yet. And partially because you need some information. You need to work with people to figure out exactly what you love to do and exactly what you're best at. And so that plus getting your name out there so that people get to know you and all of that, all of that is is personal brand, whether you're building a personal brand or not. So you have to be comfortable with that if you're an entrepreneur.
0: Agreed. All right. In working through the the workbook, this part of when you get the book, which I love, it's such a great tool. It helped me with this separation of, you know, what do I like to do? What do I enjoy doing? But what's most profitable? And I think that's an area that in this in a service type business, especially when we're maybe a solopreneur or it's starting out, we can get bogged down and make some mistakes. So just talk to me a little bit about that, some of your tips at a high level as to how you people, how you help people differentiate those things.
1: Yeah. Well, I love. First, looking for the intersection of profitability and love. Um, most people don't understand profitability. And when I ask people, what's the most profitable thing that you do? They usually tell me the highest price offering. Um, but profitability mm-hmm. really has to do with the matrix of... How much you get paid versus how much time is being put into it or how much, you know, what the cost of goods, depending on what your business is. But in services, it's generally time versus price. So even though you have a very high priced offering, if you spend twice as much time on it, then you do the... The second most high-priced offering, well, it's actually less profitable. So once you establish where your profitability is and then you think about the things that you're best at and where, what you love to do, you can start to see where the matrix of your unique offering is. Now, a lot of people say to me, well, what if my most profitable thing isn't my favorite thing to do? Mm -hmm. what if my favorite thing to do is actually my least profitable thing? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's okay too. You know, It's important to know that because at least you know what you're working with. And I think that you can make anything profitable. You just have to know that this is the thing you want to make profitable and then take steps to make it more valuable, to increase the value, to increase the profitability by either increasing your abilities to deliver it and or creating um, replicatable pieces of it like – like products or, you know, supporting supplemental content or whatever it is so that you're leveraging your time best. So uh, I I love this story of, um, you know, Will Schwartz, the crossword puzzle guy?
0: Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: So he's he's famous, Will Schwartz, the guy who did the New York Times crosswords. So I don't know if you saw the documentary. I think it's called Wordplay. Um, it's all about him. Oh, it's mm. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's pretty pretty fun. Um, okay. So Will Schwartz went to college, and he went to some college where you could make your own major, and he created his own major, and it was in puzzles. Now, puzzles. Like, who thinks you're going to do anything profitable with that? Well, it turns out he became Will Schwartz, the guy who is famous <laughs> for owning the crosswords for decades, I think. Um, his name is synonymous with the crossword. So I like that example because it's so extreme and it just goes to show that you can make money off of anything if you truly love it and you put the time into it to make it awesome.
0: Great. So such a huge takeaway there. And then on, if I do, going back to the point of if what I like, what I enjoy doing is not as profitable as this other service or offering is can an approach there be that I, you know, I hire to deliver that or I partner to deliver that. So I'm, I'm still offering that, but maybe it's just not me doing that. Is that okay? <laughs> it's,
1: it's all okay, Henry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are no rules here. But you know what I'm saying? Can, can I, can I look at it that way? If I'm offering a, you know, a series of services and maybe what I yeah, really enjoy doing. is Of course.
1: <laughs> of course. I mean, look, I, I'm, I don't, I don't, I had employees. I don't want employees. Um, but I outsource the crap out of everything else. Like mm-hmm. everything that I can outsource, I do. Um, and you know, it definitely takes time to find people who are your really trust and who really deliver. And I think that's the biggest, to me, that's mm-hmm. the biggest sticking point. Every time I'm bringing someone new on, I, I, it's like, takes me a while to find the right person, train them, all of that. Um, but of course, if you can offer something as long as it's As long as you're still able to offer that super high value, you know, you don't have to be doing all of the pieces. Um, And maybe it's a piece of what people want. I mean, another way that I help people uh, focus their services and how they package them, for example, is to... Also look at what do your clients need most, you know, give them all the value that they need. Um, can you kind of package the whole thing so that it it works for them? And it's also kind of the thing that most of your clients are looking for. And if part of that is something you don't want to do, then find someone else to do it for you in with the least friction possible. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great advice there. All right. Define for me a bullseye product.
1: Yes. So your bullseye product, I define as kind of that sweet spot, that exact okay. thing that you want to do, that if all your clients needed that package of those services and they paid that price, you would be happy as a clam.
0: Right. And that was that was that finding that on that matrix of the thing I enjoy most and what's most profitable. That's that bullseye. That's that sweet spot, yep. right?
1: Yep. That's what you want. You want to ideally it's the most profitable and thing you love most. Um, and it's the thing that you could do all day, every day.
0: Got it. Okay. Beautiful. All right. We'll start to to wrap up on this deep dive here. If we bring it back up, just from your experience with starting a business, um, certainly around the area of branding, but just in general, what's your advice when someone asks you on advice on starting their first business? Just what are some of those high level tips that you always recommend?
1: I don't know if this is high level. I would say (laughs) go out there and sell something. You know, I think the biggest mistake I see people make when they're starting their business is they think that they have to button everything up and have to have it all figured out. It's going to change if you've never done this before. Go get something for delivering your service, you know, get some experience under your belt. You won't really know what the best thing that you have to offer is, where the most value is, and all of that, unless you've actually had some experiences with people. So while I understand the feeling of, oh, I I really don't feel good enough to sell something if I don't have a logo and a website and my business cards and whatever else you think you need, um, I actually find that you you can offer your services to people and get it going. Without any of that stuff. And the sooner you do that, the, the more on track you'll be to building a, a badass brand.
0: Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. I think we use all of those things as excuses yes. for not to, not to put it out there and have it potentially be rejected.
1: Yes. And I get a lot of inquiries for that too, because people will say they want to hire me to do their brand based on an idea. And I don't, and I won't do that. So I tell okay. them, you got to go get some clients, call me when you've had a few clients and then we can talk. But I I don't think I don't think it's a good idea. And I certainly don't think it's worth the money that we cost to do it before you've actually had some real data.
0: Yeah, you, you know that that's not going to result, uh, typically not going to result in a great client experience because it's probably all going to change. Exactly. And I, I'm guilty of this or I'm guilty of overanalyzing. I've gotten better and better. I have a business partner, David Begin, who's helped me a lot with that. But but I know at the end of the day, it's a fear. It's a lack of confidence. that's really driving it. And where you see it is if you're talking about, okay, I think the customer would like this and the customer would respond. Well, you have no idea until you put that out there and iterate and the customer will tell you what's good and what's not so good.
1: Absolutely. And that's why we base our strategies on previous experience. So a lot of people will say, well, do you do market research and all this stuff? Well, for small service businesses, our market research is your past experience. And that's the best market research that you can use to base your forward-facing strategy on because it's not just based on what the market says. It's based on what you have actually done. So if you've had a couple of clients who are perfect, ideal, they wanted the same thing, you could build a whole business around that, you know? I know you can because you've already done it, and also I find that having already had those experiences previously, um, it gives you the confidence to be able to sell it moving forward. When you're trying to sell something based on a hypothesis and you're using the methods that I um, recommend, you and you get a no, which is literally part of what I'm trying to get. <laughs> like not not everyone is a yes. You you don't want to take everybody, but when you get a no and you're you're basing it on a hypothesis. I watch people backtrack. Oh, maybe that's not right. Maybe it shouldn't be that. Well, you know why they feel that way? Because they're just basing this on a hypothesis. They're not basing this on real world experience. When you have the real world experience and somebody says, no, you have a much easier time going, oh, they just weren't a perfect fit. Oh, they weren't an ideal client. Not, oh, there's something wrong with my offering. So that's another big reason I think you need the data.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Tremendous insight. All right. Summarize for us, Pia, the services that you offer your clients. We've touched on some of them, but just give us the summary of that.
1: Yeah. So um, we have a two-step process. We work with small service businesses. Uh, Step one is the brand shrink. It's a two-hour interview with me and my partner where we deep dive into the business understand everything about where they've been, where they are, and where they're trying to go. And then I deliver a brief at the end that tells you, here's your brand strategy. like, And not just brand, but really like brand and business strategy, because they kind of go hand in hand in this world that I play in. Um, and then based on that, here's all the things that you need. You need a logo, website, design and build, copywriting, strategy, messaging, identity, whatever it is. And we can do that in a one, two, or three day brand up. And the Brand Up is our bullseye product. We have a couple levels of it depending on how big the project is. But essentially, we do a lot of the work ahead of time. And then when it comes to the Brand Up day or two days or three days, um, the client shows up via Zoom or in person and we take them through this process such that at the end, their website is launched, all their materials are done, their copy is done, everything is up and ready to go, and they're off to the races. And it's really intense, and it's really fun, um, and uh, we love doing that. So that's how we work with, like, those are our, I guess you'd call them our private clients, right? Those are people who hire us to do it for them. Um, the other thing I do is I have a program where I train people. I teach people how to do this for themselves, so it's a lower price point, you know, and so I can kind of walk them through the process of doing it themselves. And a lot of people in that happen to also be graphic designers, branders. So I'm simultaneously kind of training them on how to do my process for their clients. Um, and I'm moving more and more into that because it's more scalable for me. And also I love helping these creative people who I know their struggle because we had it, <laughs> who were like, all the revisions and can't manage the client, and this stuff never ends. I love teaching them how to put it into a process that's actually profitable and actually allows them to do the creative work they love without kind of the soul sucking part of projects that go out of control.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And then, of course, there's the book. So, who did you write the book for?
1: Um, I wrote the book for small service businesses, anyone selling their expertise in any industry.
0: And the ideal client for your services, again, is who?
1: Um, Same thing. Anyone selling their expertise. So uh, I mean, most of the people who hire us these days are consultants, interior designers, architects, general contractors, um, coaches, speakers, a lot of thought leaders we do, Um, branders and graphic designers and copywriters and marketers. Those people tend to go through my program instead because they have the ability to do the design part themselves. So they usually don't want to pay for it. Um, Although we have done marketers in the brand ups as well.
0: Fantastic. Pia, so what do you love most about what you do today?
1: Um, I really love the moment when I see the aha in somebody's brain and they go, I don't have to do it that way. (laughs) that soul sucking way that I've been doing it this whole time. (laughs) I can actually do the part that I'm really great at and my clients are going to love me for it. That's my favorite part of all of this is like showing people, that. And I, I mean, there's usually a bunch of moments like that, but when I see those moments and they kind of all clicks for them, like that's my favorite thing. Yeah. That's great.
0: All right. Uh, book recommendations besides your own, we've been talking about your book, which again is called Badass Your Brand, The Impatient Entrepreneur's Guide to Turning Expertise into Profit. We'll have a link to that on the show notes page for this episode at the howabusiness.com. Is there another book that you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend?
1: Uh yeah, so many. Um recently I've been recommending um The Great Leap by Guy Hendricks. Uh have you ever heard of The Great Leap? I, got I have it. not. Yeah, I got into it pretty randomly, but it's got a really um interesting perspective about kind of pushing yourself to new heights and to achieving not success, but a different level of success which is more like greatness and excellence and how there's this barrier to entry that can seem self-sabotaging and if you acknowledge it and you see it and it starts to pop up you have a much you're much better prepared to combat it so you can get to that next level i find it very inspiring and he calls it an upper limit like that's your upper limit and you keep coming up mm-hmm. to it because you need to push past it. And so me and Steve are always like, oh, you're upper limiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's your upper limit, you know, cause you seem scared or annoyed. I love that book.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that recommendation. Yeah. We'll have a link for it as well on the show notes page at the All right. Final two questions. What, what's one thing or two things that you would like us to take away from this conversation that we've had today?
1: Um, I really want to take away that if you are really passionate about what you do and you really feel like you can give something to the world that you can make it profitable. and it's just a matter of getting creative sometimes. Um, and that usually it has to do with putting yourself out there in some way. and that can be vulnerable. But if you do it, you don't it's okay to be scared, but if you're scared and you do it anyway, then you're a badass.
0: You're a courageous badass. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Where would you like us to go online to find out more about you and the business?
1: Well, uh, you can follow me if you want on various things, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm Pia Loves Your Biz, B-I-Z which I truly do. If you haven't gotten that by now, then I don't know what, but I truly love your biz. Um, and I also put up a link for everyone on badassyourbrand.com backslash how if you want to um, grab the first chapter of my book where I kind of talk a little more in detail about our how we badass our brand. Um, And I also give you our brand shrink interview there. So um, like I said, if you hire us to do a brand shrink for you, it's $2,000, but I will give you the questions and you can brand shrink yourself. So um, it's long. Don't get me wrong. It's some work, but I mean, people have told me they changed their life just by having to answer the questions. Um,
0: Yeah, no, that's such a huge offer. I'm going to be using it myself. So enjoy. Take advantage of that, everybody listening, because it's a great offer. Her materials, as I, I mentioned in reading the book and in going through the workbook, this is actionable, valuable stuff, right? Um, like like she said earlier, it's it's the answers and there's value. So we'll have that link on the show notes page as well. If you didn't write it down, just go to the howabusiness.com. You look for PS episode and we'll have the link there for this free offer. Take advantage of that. Uh, thank you for offering. Yeah, that. my pleasure. Pia, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned lots. I learned a lot by reading your book and I'm going to learn some more from these other resources. Thank you for sharing and thank you for being with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Henry. It was absolutely my pleasure.
0: This is Henry Lopez and my guest again today was Pia Silva. Thank you for listening to this episode of The How of Business. We release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at thehowabusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowabusiness.com.